I think heaven must have been buzzing. I mean, the angels, they must have been talking. Hey, have you heard? God's making good on the promise. Wow, I can't can't imagine. I mean, God is sending the Savior to the world, to the earth. How do you think God will do it? I don't know. But it'll be big, spectacular. God will pull out all the stops. What do you think God will do? I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, God. Hey, Gabriel, do you remember the good old days? Oh, remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire from heaven. You know, that, that got some attention. I mean, that was cool. And how about the Moses era? Remember that? That was something. We had burning bushes and dividing seas. And remember the plague and fire and frogs and rivers of blood. That, that was an epic time. I mean, they're still talking about it today. Yeah. Oh, remember when we pimped Elijah's ride? I mean, that was, that was fun. Fiery chariots. That, that was something. I love fire. I love using fire. So cool. So cool. Better get the team together. We've got a lot of work to do. Friends, I think heaven was buzzing. The greatest event in human history was about to take place. And expectations had never been higher. You know, the angels, they had delivered a lot of messages through the years. I mean... That was before Pony Express and UPS and Federal Express and a little bit, uh, a little bit more efficient probably. And this message was an important message. This message would change the world. In fact, this message would change eternity. And my guess is that the angels expected something major. They expected fiery chariots and fanfare and fireworks and festivities that were for a king, something grand, something noble. And that may have been what they expected, but that is not what happened. And I mean, I find it hard to get my mind around what really happened that first Christmas. You know, when you read the story, when you really think about what transpired many times after I read the the story I'll set my Bible aside and I think you know it's just messy it's just messy everything's upside down in the story you know we're in this series the perfect gift and uh, last week I, I challenged you to experience the perfect gift and that's Jesus Christ and to remember the reason for the season not just say oh the reason for the season but really remember why we're celebrating this time of the year. And we started looking at some ways to get Christmas right so that when we get to the end of the year and we start our new year and we run into someone and they go, how was your Christmas season? That we don't have to hang our heads again and go, I'm just glad it's over. You know, that we don't find ourselves exhausted and further from God than when we started the season. And last week we started out by, we we looked at staples. And we said, you know, there's some easy buttons that we can hit in our lives to help us this Christmas season. And uh, 
I, I believe that if we can take and open and reopen the perfect gift of Jesus Christ, it'll pay in high dividends. And I challenged us to read uh, Luke, the, the Christmas story, Luke 2, 1 through 20. How many of you have been doing that every day? All right. That's overwhelming. So how's your Christmas season going so far? I'd really challenge you. There, there is something that, that is very gr- grounding in, in reading that story and just thinking about keeping, keeping Christ a- at the center. And, and here's what I believe. If we tether ourselves to the Christmas story, it will pay big time in the long haul. It, because what it allows us to do is open and reopen ourselves to to that perfect gift of Jesus Christ. You know, and I believe it also puts you in a position to be able to give the perfect gift to, to your family, to your friends, to, to people less fortunate than you. And I said that one of my goals for this series was that we get Christmas right, that we get it right this year, that all of us get it right. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go to the website and download the the message and, you know, start making use of some of those easy buttons. And also last week I challenged us, we we created a Faith Fellowship, just a gift card. And it's a a gift card to give to other people in a way to dial down our spending, for one, and to give of yourself, to give of your time, your attention, your love. That's, that's really the, the perfect gift. Uh, and uh, I believe we've got more, more of those cards available. Uh, I'm not sure if you got those when you, when you came in or not. But uh, uh, there's some at the information desk. And I would encourage you also to go to the website and take a look at what people are doing. Kind of check it out. There's a blog set up for the uh, perfect gift. And it's just a way for us to share ideas of how to share love with our neighbors and friends and maybe experiences that you have, what other people are doing. So today what I want to do is focus on our expectations. Our expectations. I want to go Barnes & Noble to get our perspective today. And... I think it is so easy to miss Christmas. I mean, Christmas is a season where expectations are sky high. Demands are are multiplied. You know, there are cards to get out and dinners to plan and parties to attend and lights to string and trees to decorate. And you got to check your list and check it twice, see who's naughty and nice. And, and And then there's the mall. Some of the guys are like, no. You fight for parking spots. You find the perfect gift or the not-so-perfect gift. You return the not-so-perfect gift. Wrapping, it is a flurry of activities. That's just what Christmas has become. And I think it's easy to miss. Easy to miss the whole thing. And here, it's a simple question today. What are you expecting this Christmas? See, God was thinking Barnes, and the angels were thinking noble. They were thinking something much more grand. I mean, can you imagine what happened when God unveiled his plan? You know, gave Gabriel the orders to to execute. 
you know, they probably pulled him in his office and said, Gabriel, you're going to go to earth as a baby. I want you to go to Nazareth, and I want you to tell a mother to name the child Jesus. And as usual, I think Gabriel headed, took his orders. But this is my guess, okay? This isn't in Scripture. But I think that as Gabriel is, he's heading out the pearly gates, he's heading toward, toward earth, I think he started talking to himself. You know, I think he started trying to, trying to figure it out. Because that's what I do. When, when I'm a little perplexed about something, I'm trying to work through something, I talk to myself. And so he's heading toward earth, and he's probably like, you got to be kidding me. Nazareth? I mean, how about Beijing, New York, you know, Tokyo, Paris? But Nazareth? Are you kidding me? And what, what's God thinking? A baby? Seriously, a baby? I mean, babies, they need taken care of. They need bottles, and they need... Oh, well, we won't go there. And and they're just messy. They're just messy. You know, it doesn't make sense. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. God? A baby? Can you picture it? I, I picture him as he gets close to Nazareth. He, shabby little town. He's probably looking it over. I think he was a bit of an optimist probably, and he's like, well, I'm sure this Mary must be something. She must truly be special. Maybe she's royalty. Maybe maybe she's a queen or princess. Oh, that would work. That would work. Nah, I, I don't remember any royals in Nazareth. Maybe she's rich. Famous. Oh, that that would really play well. And then as Gabriel gets close to the house, I think he must have looked at the address, rubbed his eyes, said, This can't be right. Houston, we've got a problem. My GPS must be on the fritz again. Looks at the address. That's right. It's got to be a mistake. I mean, she's, she's too young. She's a kid. And she, she's a peasant. And she's certainly not mother of God material. And what's God thinking? A baby? Seriously, the baby? That it doesn't make sense. They, they've got to be taken care of. They're just, they're just messy. This does not make sense. God, a baby. I think that he struggled. And he's thinking kings, queens, you know, this kind of kind of thing. But it wasn't. You know, he wanted he wanted it to to work for him, but it didn't. And the fact is that um, it just wasn't what he expected. And then he was uh looking around, and um, he's thinking, you know, this, this just isn't very noble. 
It's just not very noble. And I wonder how much he missed, how much he missed because it didn't meet his expectations. I mean, it just didn't meet it. You know, he was looking for something that was over the top. You know, he was looking for that Christmas extravaganza. And friends, that's not where the perfect gift is. Many times the perfect gift is in the most unlikely places. You know, every time I read the Christmas story, every time I roll into the Christmas season, I find myself saying, what was God thinking? What was God thinking? Gabriel carries out the orders. In fact, Scripture records it, Luke 1. Just read. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel would mean. Of course, she'd be a little little, uh, off kilter. Angel showed up. It says, Don't be afraid, Mary. Angel told her, For you have found favor with God. You will receive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. It's interesting, the, if you read the entire account of the interaction and the conversation between Mary and Gabriel, Mary asks a lot of questions because she's trying to figure out how it's possible that she's going to have a baby. And before uh, Gabriel leaves her, he makes a comment and he, he turns to her and says, nothing will be impossible for God. And I think he was trying to reassure her, but I also think that he was trying to reassure himself because it wasn't what he expected. And friends, the first Christmas defies expectations. The months roll on. Story unfolds. It continues to defy expectations. Luke 2, verse 1, picks up and says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Can you picture it? Gabriel's watching the Christmas story unfold. And again, I, I think Gabriel's trying to work through this stuff. You know, he's looking and watching. And he's going, King of Kings? Born in Bethlehem. It's a little no-account town. Hardly anybody even knows that it exists. Oh, you got got to be kidding me. A stable? Oh, Barnes is no place for a baby. This is ridiculous, let let alone the Savior of the world. It doesn't make sense. I mean, what's God thinking? Barns, sheep, cattle, cobwebs. They're wet and damp. Oh, they smell. They just smell. 
Oh, no. Are you kidding me? Those kids are going to put that baby in a feeding trough. I think that's where he snapped. I mean, I think it was more than Gabriel could handle at that point. You know, and so I picture Gabriel buzzing back to heaven, because that's what angels do. And, and, and maybe, maybe radioing ahead and saying, you know, God, I need to meet you in the situation room. God, this has just went too far. I mean, it's too much. A, a barn? This is a noble event. Are you kidding me? At, at least, at least, let's do a grand announcement. Oh, you final one? Cool. Okay, I've got some good ideas here. I'm thinking angels in the sky. I'm thinking hundreds of them. No, thousands. No, an explosion of angels with some fire and fireworks. You know, heavenly hosts everywhere. Music, a choir, a concert, a Christmas extravaganza. We'll hit all the major stations. We will make this work. I'm thinking Times Square, Washington, D.C., ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, live simulcast. We'll, we'll go the, we will pull out all the stops. Oh, we've got to get out invitations. How about presidents, you know, prime ministers, kings, queens, prince, princesses, maybe Tiger Woods, the Jonas Brothers, Hannah Montana, American idols. Woo! We'll, we'll do it all. Worldwide coverage. Can you picture it? What? You're not serious. A hillside coverage? Shepherds? If you say so, I'll take care of it. He heads out the door. I think he's not real enthusiastic at this point. Because it's not what he expected. What are you thinking? Who will ever find God there? Who will ever even bother to look there? It's just a mess. It's not what you expect. And here's my bent. Expectations, I think, get in the way. I think expectations can make you miss what's really going on in the Christmas season. You know, while all this stuff is going on in a barn, look what the nobles are doing. Matthew 2 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him, when he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Three main characters here. We got King Herod, we got the Magi, probably were more than three of them, by the way, and we got the religious leaders. Now, 
We know that the Magi traveled to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the religious epicenter of the world. It was then, it is now. And the Magi, get this, were astrologers. From probably from Persia, good chance they were Iranian. They were secular magicians, but they were looking for the Savior. I find that odd. They asked King Herod, who was a noble, where's the Messiah, the King of the Jews? And he wanted to know, he said, so he could go and worship, or so that was his story, or so he said. But King Herod, King Herod's clueless. So he calls in the religious nobles, the princes, the scribes, the Pharisees, and he questions them. And these guys, they have read every book that's in the bookstore on the topic. They do scripture backwards and forward, and they pinpoint it, Micah 5.2, and they tell Herod, Jesus The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Herod informs the Magi. The Magi head to Bethlehem to pay respects. Here's the part that just troubles me. It is difficult to comprehend how these religious nobles, the scribes and the Pharisees, these guys that have been waiting for a thousand years, for a savior, for thousands of years, for a savior, that have given their lives to leading religiously, it just strikes me odd that not one of them show up. In fact, they missed the first Christmas. It just, it just blows my mind. The greatest event in human history, they're five miles away, that's how far it is from Jerusalem to, to Bethlehem, tiny little Palestinian town on the central west bank, and these religious nobles are so into info and knowledge and studying scripture and knowing the law and ritualism and all this stuff, and they miss it. You know why? I mean, this is my opinion. I think they missed it because that wasn't what they were looking for. I think it wasn't what they expected. It didn't meet their expectations. And how about Herod? Herod, I mean, he truly was a noble. And he had expectations that led him down a dark road. And, you know, he he said he, he was looking for the king of the Jews... He asked the the Magi to return and let him know so that he could go worship, but that wasn't what he had plans to do. In fact, God warns the Magi in a dream to not return to Herod. The reality, Herod's intentions, they were not noble. Herod's official government title was the king of the Jews. That was his title because of the area that he served. And I believe all he could think about was, I've got to protect my position. I'm the king of the Jews. He's not the king of the Jews. And it was an issue of power. It was an issue of rule. And that expectation jaded him big time. 
pick up the story in verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. In other words, he had talked to them, figured out the time of the birth. And this guy just goes ballistic. In fact, if you read history, uh, Byzantine history records the massacre of the innocent. And they say that it is possible up toward 14,000 children were slaughtered. Not what I would have expected. It's jarring. You know, Herod's expectations finally drive him mad. He kills all of his family. He loses everything. Nobles, barns, barns, nobles. Friends, the story presses the extremes. It challenges the mind. It defies expectation. And it's no wonder that we have a hard time getting Christmas right. It's no wonder that we struggle this time of the season. You know, maybe, maybe it's just our expectations. And it seems like so simple to me, but it seems so strategic that we understand, what are you expecting? What are you expecting? You know, where are you expecting to find God this Christmas? In the Christmas extravaganzas, in the fanfare, in the tinsel, in the ornaments, the parties, the dinners, the carols, the presents. What's your expectation? Where are you looking for God? Because God's everywhere. You know, a parent holding their child for the first time. And God's there. Young person fighting for his life in a hospital. God's there. You know, a parent struggling with a rebellious child. And God's in the midst of it. And God's there. Young girl cries herself to sleep at night. And God's there. God's in the middle of it. You know, a child enjoying their first snowfall. God's there. A spouse spending the first Christmas in 50 years alone. And friends, God's there. Family laughing together around a table. And God's there. A son or daughter standing at the grave of a parent. And God's there. A person reaching their lifelong dream. And God's there. A worker holding a pink slip. Not sure how they're going to pay the bills. And God's there child abandoned and alone and God's there a young person fighting an addiction and God's there parent grieving poor choices and God's there and a baby takes its first breath and cries out in a barn and God is there barns it's in the barns of life It's in the ordinary, not the extraordinary. It's in the mess and the clutter. It's not what you expect. 
Friends, God can be found in some of the strangest places. And I think that's why it's the perfect gift. I mean, where are you going to find God this Christmas? Where are you going to find God? Barns. Simplistic. Ordinary. Messy. Smelly. Cluttered. Mixed up. The stuff that just, it's the muck of life. And here's a simple challenge. Look for God. Look for that perfect gift where you are. Where you are in the moment, in the celebration, in the frustrations in the hopes, and in the anxiety, in the laughter, in the tears, in the accomplishments and the struggles. Friends, look for God in barns this Christmas. That first Christmas, expectations, preconceived ideas got in the way. First Christmas wasn't epic. It wasn't even extravagant. Well, extravagant love, but on the surface, not much fanfare. But the first Christmas, God could be found in a barn in a little shabby town called Bethlehem. I really believe that part of the reason we get to the end of the season and we go, I just missed it. I didn't get it right. Is because we don't look at the simple things. We think God's going to like do a big splash. And I'm just talking for myself here. The most powerful times in my life, those most holy moments in my life, they've come in the quiet. They've come in the ordinary. They've come in just the clutter of life. I'd encourage you. Dial it down. Take a breath. And find God in a barn in your life. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God. I thank you. I thank you that you're always present. And God, forgive us. Forgive us for not recognizing your presence. Presence in that stillness and those moments, whether it's joy or tears, whether we're laughing together or crying together. whether we're celebrating or grieving, whether life is running full throttle or we're just barely getting by. God, I pray that you would just open our eyes and our hearts and that we'd just see you in the barns. God, we praise you. We thank you 
that we really can have a relationship with you. And I pray that we'd make that a priority. That we'd have no expectation except we're going to see you this Christmas. And we're going to put you front and center. It's in Christ's holy name we pray.